You unlock this benefit with the key of Patreon. Beyond is another dimension. A dimension of thought. A dimension of speculation. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both waffle and substance. Of things and ideas. You've just crossed into the podcast zone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. That's right, we're travelling through the Twilight Zone and we are up to the fourth episode, the 16mm Shrine. Uh, and so this film is a an ageing uh, film star, an ageing film of the, of the sort of, uh, of the 30s, struggles to sort of move on, uh, you know, and sort of spends her entire time watching her old movies and sort of uh, living that nostalgia life uh, until... She starts to be forced to confront the realities of her of her current present life, uh, and eventually finds a way to escape it all uh, and move into, um, I don't know, another dimension. We'll talk about it. A so, dimension uh, of time and space, but of the mind. Yeah, indeed, the sixteen millimeter shrine. So, Julian, what are your first thoughts on this episode? I really like this episode, um, mm. I, you know, and I have criticized the first three episodes to varying degrees. I think this is superior to uh, the best of the first four. Mm. Um, and and some of it, you know, I think the, the weakest part is that she is so obsessed with the past and, and to a point of delusion. Right. OK, well, you kind of have to buy that. I I love the sort of like aging uh, Hollywood star of the 30s. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the movie The Artist. Uh, mm. It's a French silent, silent film uh, from not that long ago, from post-2000. But, um, you know, so I love this this ambiance. I love this kind of story. You know, a lot of these episodes deal in one way or another with aging. Um, and so, which is a tough thing. Uh, you mm. know, you and I are both middle-aged. Damn it. Damn yeah. it. And... Um, so I, I love all of that. And at the end, she sort of like goes into her movie. And I'm also a huge fan of like metafiction done right. And it seems to me that a lot of these Twilight Zone episodes kind of prefigure other things in science fiction or fantasy. Um, you know, we've talked about sort of Philip K. Dick in the first one. Um, this one, you know, for me, reminds me of like the, the Woody Allen film, The Purple Rose of Cairo. Mm somebody is going into a movie yeah i agree actually i think there were some interesting elements in this and i love this idea of um like you say the aging um film star and being trapped in this thing but and and, and this is definitely something i think that you know this is clearly a, a hollywood thing um and also the fact it's a woman as well i think his, his weight is a lot more interesting in that you know um our sort of conceptions of what is beauty and and, and where, you know how long someone can be a a leading lady or a love interest and i like the fact that she's presented with this thing later about half through which is oh we've got a role for you it's the mother and so i know don't play mothers i play leading ladies and it did get me thinking about <clears throat> modern hollywood and how you know um i think you know actors and actresses they do obviously go through incredibly you know um intensive self-care sort of uh, regimes to look as youthful as for as long as possible but there is still that thing about that only a few females in particular men seem to have this thing of being able to act forever like, you know everyone will go and watch aging actors fucking we'll go watch liam neeson be you know an action star into his 70s i don't care but how you know would you then watch someone of the same age 
doing a similar film if they were if they were female. You know, there's only a few Meryl Streep sort of you know um, a few actresses that can really sort of Michelle Pfeiffer, a few others that really get to play it these characters as they get older. So I thought it was interesting that this even in 1959 there was an acknowledgement of this this thing around sort of aging in, in, in Hollywood. <clears throat> but also I say this this need to be the star, this thing about needing to be the forefront, I thought was interesting as well. This narcissism of it all um, makes the character both sympathetic, but also there's something about it that's, that's unlikable as well. Uh, my dad worked for the American Film Institute. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the, you know, they basically told him to name his salary, you know, Um, you know, they headhunted him. Um, And so I grew up partially in Pasadena and, you know, I had pictures of my dad with Dustin Hoffman on the wall and Mm -hmm. stuff like this. And so, um, and basically my dad's experience in Hollywood was like, yeah, they're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) There's only like a couple people who are ever really nice to me. Um, You know, and, and, you know, the narcissism comes through. I will say on the gender thing, like I, I it does work better because it's a woman. Yeah. I do think that uh, Hollywood has has become much more aware of that problem mm. uh, and has gotten better. I'm a huge fan of like, you know, Enlightened on HBO. Um, and there have been some some movies featuring, you know, older, older women, um, you know, and, and some there is this weird phenomenon like um, uh, uh, Betty White. And others just being idolized and worshipped, uh, <laughs> which is awesome to see. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I was totally traumatized when Winona Ryder was cast, you know, who was like, I'm completely in love with. Yeah. I can't watch Beetlejuice and not be like, I missed my chance to marry her. At that time. Um, but when she was cast as Spock's mother in this uh, Abram Star Trek, I was like, oh, oh, that hurts me. Um, and she was like the oldest person in it outside of Nimoy. Yeah, so there is the audience sort of experience of this too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's a recognizable dynamic. Um, but but it, but it also just sort of transcends that, right? And gets mm. into nostalgia. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, look, what half of the whole Trump thing, half of the whole Brexit thing is nostalgia for, you know, the 50s and for, you know, the you know, the World War II period and sort of when we were strong, the empire and all this nonsense. Yeah, well, Hollywood in the 30s was terrible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, oh, and the, well, th- th- that's a big part of this film, isn't it? That, that, like, you know, nostalgia is dangerous, getting stuck in that, uh, in that dark room of just reflecting on... Um, the past and how good it was, and but but everyone has this, you know. You say just about the, the 30s being awful, and and yeah, you hear stories of like you know Clark Gable probably had it fine, but he was a terrible person and treated people awfully, and other people were treated by studios absolutely horrendously. Um, but even today, like, I know people, and you know, not to name them, but I know people that routinely say they talk about. How God, do you remember we went on that holiday when we, were, you know, when we were first, when we, you know, we were twelve. And I'm not, not really, because that thirty years ago, like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to live in that moment. But people, there are still people that are obsessed with that, that idea of youth and what they did when they were in it. And you know, they've, atta- they've, they've, Hollywood approaches this from different angles because you do get those stories of people where you go, like, you know, um, 
I had my best moments when I was in high school, even like um, Married with Children, you know, sort of the the, the dad character in that, um, you know, how he... High school sports star. That sort of thing, yeah. It's it's, it's a real sort of, you know, um, hang-up that I think that people acknowledge. Um, But with this, like you say, in, in this episode, it verges on an obsession. Like, it's not just a... Yeah, they were my better days, and no one talks about it anymore. Like, this is version on some sort of like psychosis. Like, she's dangerously sort of obsessed with this stuff to the extent of like, I, I love the scene when her her co star from the 30s comes to visit her. Like, he's in town for business, and this guy turns up and he's got like thick glasses on, he's got a receding hairline. And she actually, sort of, at first, she acknowledges it and she says, like, oh, isn't it funny how you picture people, how you, th- you know, expect to see them? And then it sort of turns, slowly turns in her eyes of, like, the the humour goes. And then she's like, mm-hmm. you're not who I want to see because mm-hmm. you're ruining my fantasy of what this thing is. You know, you, you and she says, she goes to the photo and she's like, this is the person I wanted to be here. This is who the, who you who should be here. Get out. Uh, and that's when she has this breakdown, isn't she? Having uh, wanting to have a party of people coming around, and the, and the guy's like, I, think, I don't know if it's an agent, I think. Yeah, that was before. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah. Right. No, and it, I think it's her, her Her husband was my well, person. Well, he lives separately. Look, oh, he, he comes he, to the house, so I'm never entirely sure. Because I almost feel like she's supposed to. He throws him out at one point. Yeah. So I always took it as her agent or something yeah. that's known her for years. You're right. But he has like a, she has like these breakdown moments where she's like, I want to throw a big party and I want so and so and so and so. And he's like, Well, he's dead, he's retired, and and that's obviously when he brings him back in. And he she says like, You're not who I expect to see. And like I say, she giggles about it, and then it turns dark, and she's like, Get out. And I'm like, This is a psychosis. Like this woman needs some real therapy. Like there's something dark going on here. No, you're right. I mean, she's clearly crazy. She shuts the the windows. She shuts mm. the doors, and you know, and says, you know. The outside world doesn't exist. You know, she says when she goes to the studio and it's a it's a mother, she would be playing a mother and not a big role. Yeah. Instead of saying, thank God you want to cast me, you know, uh, I, I hope it's decent. But, mm. you know, what am I going to get right now? Maybe I'll do this. And, and if it does well and people see my acting ability, I'll get something else. Instead of that, she plays the diva and she comes back and says that producer doesn't exist. That studio yeah. doesn't exist. It's this total denial of reality. Um, I do think it touches on, you know, I wanted to say in terms of the gender thing that I like that scene too with her former romantic co-star. And I think that that makes it less about gender, even though it's, you know, like he looks terrible. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he's aged horribly. Yeah. So much for the idea of like men aging gracefully, yeah. you know, because of course it's the same actress who plays, you know, mm-hmm. her in the movie 20 years ago that you see. Um, so yeah, um, that sort of detracts from, from the gender point, although you're right, of course, and that's obviously there. Um, the other thing is that, you know, I think about like, um, it's not just actresses and actors, it's like sports stars, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like you were talking about married with children. I mean, I think back on my college years and, you know, I, I, you know, other times like that, but then I also remember I was miserable, you know, I was suicidal every day. Uh, you know, I was young. I was getting mm-hmm. drunk and stoned all the time and, and going to the library and listening to opera for the hell of it. But I was also miserable. Um, but it's, you know, you think of like somebody who goes to the Olympics, like, you know, you're an Olympic gymnast at 16. What are you going to do at 30? You know, how yeah. do you how do you live a life like that? Um, 
and yet that's the case for a lot of you know yeah. big name people. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I won a gold medal when I was like I say when I was sixteen, and I'm now thirty seven, and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, no, but it's true. But I, I like I like this idea that like you know. Um, but one of the things I love about this episode, so we sort of you know, we sort of come to the end of this thing, is the fact that there's no resolution in the past episodes. There's been this kind of resolution, this sort of you know, um, whether it's the, the the problem is solved or the person gets closure or they get a new opportunity or whatever. Like this, this doesn't like her psychosis takes her is what drives her to this end. And what I would say is this is so far. In fact, of the you know of the ones we've watched to date, this is the one that felt to me most like a weird tale. Like I would expect this to come from, you know, maybe not so much Lovecraft, but that that weird, even like a modern. Like this has aged really well. This episode, this feels like a modern weird tale. When I mean, the ending is, she appears in the film. There mm-hmm. is a sort of you know you see through this projection through the screen. It's been turned off. The maid's had this moment where she's seen something and the guy comes in, turns it on, he's going to watch it and he sees her in the house with these youthful versions of all these characters and actors and she's like, oh, it's time for drinks by the pool and they all go out. And she kisses and like, you know, out to the screen to her agent sat in the seat and then when he, when it, it turns off and then when he goes out to the hall, the, the handkerchief or the, the whatever it is she's been holding is on the floor. This to me is a flipping wonderful weird tale because it's never explained. Like she has disappeared, mm. and it's you know that this to me is one of the, the strongest endings. Where I'm like, wait, what? That's amazing. Like it doesn't explain anything. There's no sort of like again, not like, talking about the thing of this idea of like there's been a single point of supernatural or supernaturality in this. This is it, and it's it's clear and it's focused. It's like it's all been normal up until this point, and then you are absolutely slapped in the face with this weird. And it's wonderful. Yeah, and I think another thing is that those supernatural elements don't tend to be explained. Yeah. You know, it's just like I, you know, I travel to another dimension. You know, like, yeah. okay, you know, uh, you just kind of have to accept them. And because it's that one thing, it's easier to do. I think it, it, one way in which this is aged well is that it's postmodern. And mm-hmm. it's sort of the, the ultimate coalescence of her obsession with the past and her nostalgia yeah. that she wishes and she literally goes into the film and in a way that's very touching to me like you know it's sad but it's also like well you know in theory she should have gone to a mental institution and recovered right (laughs) but she's not going to do that this is her sort of in a way it's kind of an apotheosis it's kind of like she has gotten her wish she gets to live with those people who she remembers she gets to be that person forever as she remembers it, probably not as it really was. Mm. Um, and then there's the little thing of her, she responds on screen, which is wonderful. I mean, I yeah. love this kind of in metafiction when it works. Um, she responds on screen to what's being said in the room and waves goodbye to the, the agent character and throws her handkerchief. And I, you know, each time I've watched this, uh, I sort of rewind and make sure that that handkerchief isn't coming off the screen. No, it's not. No, it's not. It, it is. They're not able to do that FX shot. But he finds it in the room later. Mm. Um, and so no, it's in the hallway. It's wonderful. The shot. Yeah, that's, what's, that's, so, that's what's so good about it. It's like the shot of where he, what he sees is the actual house. The hallway of the actual house is where she's got this to go up to the pool. And he goes out to where that shot is and then he finds the thing on the yeah. on the 
on the 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 blank the thing on the floor, and it's almost like this final passing into this other this you know this other dimension or this 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 land of the of the film, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, but it, yeah, it's a wonderful tale of the weird. This one, um, I think this is one of my favourite ones so far. Uh, really yeah. strong. Really, really I agree. Rested with me. It's the best of the first four. Yeah. Okay. Any final thoughts? Quickly. No, I'm good. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there we have it. That was uh, the 16 millimeter shrine. Um, so we've done that. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>